0: Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Hawes. Our goal with this podcast is for Team Fairchild to get to know each other, our support programs, and to increase our sense of community and development. Every episode, we'll be interviewing people from around the base and learning about them, as well as their keys to success. On today's episode, we sat down with our Vice Wing Commander, Colonel Scott Heathman, before he left town. It was a great interview. He had a lot of tips and tricks to being successful. It's a long one, so take a break, do what you got to do, but I guarantee it's worth listening to the end. As he says, be present, be bold, and be innovative. You'll understand exactly what he's talking about if you listen to this interview. Colonel Heathman, how you doing? Doing great. It's good to see you. Good to see you too. I mean, we interact quite a bit, but this is, this is kind of new for both of us, yeah, so absolutely. I really appreciate your time. Now, Excited to be here. So what's your story? How did you get to this spot in your life? <laughs> <laughs> so what's my story? Um,
1: well, I grew up uh, uh, not really a military brat, but was born on an Air Force base when my dad was uh, drafted uh, oh. during the Vietnam era. So in 1969, he got his draft <laughs> paperwork and decided to listen to the Air Force. And uh, at the end of his tour, um, that's kind of when I came along and uh, was born at Offit. And then from there, the family moved to South Dakota and eventually Minnesota. So... Kind of call Minnesota really home. Um, okay. We've lived all over Minnesota, uh, but Rochester, Minnesota being primarily where I'm from. Okay. Um, Complete high school there. Then I went off to college at uh, the Illinois Institute of Technology, which is in the south side of Chicago. So if anybody's ever been to Old Comiskey Ballpark or, or heck, uh, I can't even think of the name, Comerica Park, I think, or something, what it is now, uh, the campus is literally across the street. So... Uh, a nice distraction during your college courses to have a Major League Baseball team right out your front door. But uh, <laughs> so, um, but I did ROTC there for four years and then um, uh, went off to Whiteman as my first duty assignment. Spent about a year there waiting to go to pilot training and eventually went to pilot training at Laughlin and then found myself here at Fairchild uh, in 1999. So, nice. uh, you know, here it is almost 20 years later. And, uh, you know, some things have, of change but there's still a lot quite uh, a bit that's the same and and i kind of like it and uh there's a lot of people i still know here both uh that have moved to the guard or that are here in civilian status or in the area it's kind of um, nice then oh yeah. it's incredible because you know you see some familiar faces and and uh they remember training you as a young lieutenant i mean it's it's pretty neat to to have those relationships and and stuff but yeah. um but I'm the kind of person that um, I do like to do different things. I've always had a curiosity, um, a curious nature about myself. Curiosity is very a big part of my, my life and my leadership style. And I wanted to go see another part of our Air Force and I applied to Crossflow and then ended up in the okay. C-17 um, community for about uh, four years at Charleston.
0: Can you explain cross-flow yeah. just real quick? Yep. For...
1: so um, a, a lot of aviators, a lot of pilots these days will tend to stay in, in one aircraft. Okay. Um, so sure. just like cross-training into another job, it's essentially what a pilot has the ability to do. Okay. Um, not everybody gets to do it because it costs a lot of money to, to cross-train somebody into a new airplane, yeah. um, but they ran this program, uh, continue to run it today, called Phoenix Reach, part of the Phoenix okay. Horizon, which is a professional development program that Air Mobility Command um uh, advertises every year, and I applied for it, and they said, "Yeah, we we uh, we'd like you to become an airlifter," and and then they basically assign you an aircraft, so you don't really get to pick which airplane they they get to pick <laughs> for you. Uh, but nice I too. still think I got a pretty darn good deal. Um, but it was tough leaving the tanker community because the tanker community, um, you know, this base, just like McConnell McDill, uh, these are a humble group of people. That the tanker community mm-hmm. is, you can't go anywhere without a KC-135, a KC-10, and now our KC-46 refueling our aircraft or our coalition aircraft. Um, The ability to do what we need to do across the planet, it cannot happen without tankers. And so it is tough to leave a community like this where you have a deep sense of pride, um, you know, a very humble uh, uh, crew force and airman mentality, um, and then go off to airlift. Radically different world, but just as fun, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, the globe got a lot bigger for me flying c-17s i think i doubled the number of countries i went to in the first two weeks wow so i mean you you see a lot and you're a little bit uh alone and unafraid as a brand new aircraft commander in a c-17 and and you're roaming around two weeks at a pop and uh uh, and the tempo was pretty high i mean 2004 i mean we were we were in iraq and afghanistan pretty hardcore Mm -hmm. and so I spent a lot of days gone, uh, close to 200 days gone my first year in the 17. Um, but you know, I got a strong family. Um, my son was born in Charleston, you know, so the family expanded there and, and, um, my wife, Mary is, is, you know, she's been with me every step of the way since, since here at Fairchild. And, um, you know, that's really been a core foundation for me and in, in my career is to have those two in my life and, and to continue on. But, uh, um, you know, C-17 life was a, was a hardcore four years, and then uh, I did a, about a two-year stint at school at Fort Leavenworth with the Army. Oh, okay. That's and, pretty cool. Uh, yeah, it was yeah. a great opportunity to, to get with a joint service. Um, the Command General Staff College was the first year, and then I spent a year at the advanced school. Um, they call that SAMS, the School of Advanced Military Studies, um, another master's program. Okay. And right. from there, it's kind of a stepping stone into a more strategy uh, planner-type job. Uh, based on the skill sets that I learned through SAMS. Um, So I went off to the Pentagon after that, and I worked for two years on the Joint Staff in the Strategic Plans and Policies Directorate, which, funny enough, that's what they trained me to do. So, um, And and the division I worked in was the Iraq Division. So we were responsible for essentially planning out what did we need to do to really shut down uh, Iraqi freedom and transition to a more stabilized security cooperation environment. Okay. You know, much like we have with Egypt or Colombia or Saudi Arabia. Um, So I was one of the lead transition officers for that, and I worked um, a lot of planning with the chairman, and we would give him the details so that he could best advise the president of the United States on on which direction we should go as far as military strategy and policy.
0: Wow. No pressure, right? No pressure as a young (laughs) major. Yeah.
1: It is not a job I ever thought I would in a million years be doing um, and here I am you know day one of the Pentagon I don't even know how to get into the building and uh, <laughs> but I know my office is somewhere in there um, you know after about a 20 minute walk from the parking lot I mean it, it is a monstrous building but um, a lot of hard work but I really enjoyed working there um, it's a neat place to work and I got to work with a lot of key partners within our inner agency uh, I worked with the State Department very closely with them uh, Justice Department of Justice Department of Transportation Commerce you know anything that we could any lever or any um, uh, effort support that we could provide as a U.S. government to the Iraqi government we were we were going to try wow. and, uh, and support in any facet that we could um, because um, eventually you know we will turn this mission over to the State Department when we have Um, you know, despite the fact we still have some ongoing combat operations in and around that, that area, um, eventually, you know, the goal is still to have a relationship with another country, um, where we can, you know, share our support, share our training equipment, things like that, so that we can hopefully enable that spread of freedom, freedom throughout that region. So, Mm -hmm. um, it's a long game it's not something that happens overnight and we all knew that as planners but uh, it was sure fun to be on the front end of that transition and it's certainly been interesting to watch this play out because some of it is exactly how we thought it would and some of it is not exactly how we thought it would so um, you know you got to look at those things in a more of a long-term game than a in a short term so that makes sense um, but after that I had the best job in the Air Force which is squadron command and um, I was chosen to be the squadron commander uh, up in New Hampshire. And a lot of people were like, well, what's an active duty guy doing in New Hampshire? We don't have any bases <laughs> up there. Well, there is a guard base up there and they have an active associate, basically an active duty squadron tied to an Air National Guard wing. So yeah, yeah. kind of like here at Fairchild where the guard, um, we have a wing here and they fly uh, the same aircraft we have that belong to the 92nd. I was a squadron and I flew the New Hampshire International Guards aircraft uh, at their wing. Um, And there's a few of these spread out across the Air Force. uh, But what I learned out of that job is um, I knew going into that job was going to be heavy on relationship building and fostering and creating.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm.
1: I just never understood the full scope of how many partners I would have to be partnered with. Um, And I worked with obviously the Guard. I worked with my active duty wing, which was on a McConnell. I worked with uh, our support wing, which was Hanscom. I worked with the United States Navy, who provided all of our medical care. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I had about eight bosses, and uh, they kept me busy. Um, wow. Well, yeah. but, uh, but other times, it um, um, they left us alone to try to figure things out. And that's what I really loved about that job is, you know, the unit was only a few years old, and here we are trying to figure things out that a squad in any other place would have already established, processes. Yeah. Or, I mean, we built a a thrift shop. I mean, who who has built a thrift shop in the Air Force? I mean, just there's things that we didn't have as active duty airmen there that we were able to work with the guard. And then we brought something that actually helped out guard, active duty, the reservists that were in the area, anybody else. So I'm really proud of like a lot of the different things that we were able to do as a squadron stuff that you just would never do in a typical air refueling squadron. So... Uh, and we didn't look like an air feeling squadron. We had maintenance. We had supply. We had com, We had, um, I'd actually like to talk about what we didn't have. We didn't have security forces, civil engineers, or contractors, but we had pretty much everything else.
0: Wow. So
1: not, yeah. not in large numbers, but, you know, one financial manager, you know, two supply <laughs> troops, two com troops. So, yeah. Uh, a little mini wing and we kind of teased and and joked that, you know, we could pick up and move and probably invade a small country if we really needed to. (laughs) Um, but after that I moved to AMC headquarters and, um, uh, I worked senior leader management where I managed, um, Uh, careers for colonels and chiefs and general officers um, with the commander of Air Mobility Command. So we were the kind of the administrative side of that. And we would support and provide guidance to the AMC commander on on hiring for the staff at AMC or command screening processes, like who's wing commanders, vice group commanders, and then uh, chief assignments as well. So Really interesting uh, facet, and, and again, another job I absolutely loved that I never thought I would ever work in, uh, was working in uh, the personnel side of our Air Force and, and uh, uh, learned a ton there. Um, went off to school again, this time with the Navy. I don't think the Air Force likes me because they don't let me go to school with them. But uh, <laughs> uh, So I went to school with the Navy for a year, and then I found myself here at, at really a dream job uh, to, be, to come back to Fairchild and be a vice wing commander and work with not only incredible leadership, but just incredible airmen. Um, I mean, this is again a dream come true to come back to a place you started full circle and flying with a community and serving for a community that I, I deeply love. I mean, this is this has been my highlight. So um, it's going to be uh, bittersweet to move on here next week, but uh, then I'll be moving off to Scott as the wing commander there. But I, I sure, uh, I truly believe that that the airmen here and the leadership here have really set me up for success to to step up to this next challenge and serve airmen at another wing. So I'm looking forward to that.
0: So. Nice. Nice. Well, that's, that is one impressive career. That's mean in holy, yeah. <laughs> so. holy smokes. I mean, you come in thinking you're going to fly airplanes and now you're managing people and places and strategy. Oh my gosh. It,
1: it is. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you that, you know, not any different than any other young, um, airman who wants to fly planes. Um, you come in and that's what you're told to do is become an expert in, in whatever aircraft you're asked to fly. But at some point, I would say as a senior captain, when when I became a flight commander, that's where I think my leadership started to shift. And my focus started to shift a little bit away from me and on them. And, and mm-hmm. that's a, a transition that every airman, regardless whether you're officer or enlisted, you need to be aware of that at some point, if you haven't gone that way and you continue to to promote, you do need to start shifting your focus from a technical expert to now serving and leading others. Right. Um, and and that point in my life, um, I had a phenomenal wing commander here, uh, General Fullhart, uh, Colonel Fullhart, then Randall Fullhart, uh, who taught me the value of an understanding of what it means to be a servant leader. I'd never heard that term before until about two thousand two. And I've served with many leaders like him who were servant leaders that just never applied that terminology to it. Okay. Um, yeah. But that's where I, I started to shift that. You know what? This is a little, you say this, we all know it's bigger than ourselves to serve. But that's when you, I think, truly feel it is in that transition when you're leading others for the first time um, and you're caring, feeding for their careers, for their livelihood. Maybe it's even personal issues that they're dealing with. Uh, flight commanders. Um, have a very important job, and uh, you know we, we absolutely need to pay a lot of attention in developing them, so that they have a really good understanding of the resources they have access to, the the kinds of things they they can absolutely get involved in as a as a young leader. And then, um, who are those key senior enlisted and, and officers that they need to stay in lockstep with to to ensure that they're doing right by their airmen? So.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And thanks for uh, doing the transition. I was getting ready to go into there about uh, we've talked for, you know, you've been gracious enough to help out with any of the professional development classes I've been putting on. And we, we talk, you know, on the way up to the classroom and on the way back, and it's always about helping others. It's always about, you know, this is the way the impression I get from you is that you love doing, well, everything, but when you, when you really get the chance to sit down and talk and mentor and share your experiences with younger airmen, whether it's enlisted officer, you know, the flight commanders course, or, you know, NCOs, senior NCOs or airmen, it's that servant leadership that we always kind of circle back to. And that, um, you know, outside looking in, you just seem to, you know, we could sit there in the, the hallway of the education center for, you know, an extra 45 minutes just talking about, leadership stuff that way, oh, you yeah. know, so if you want to go down that path I, and, and explore how you, you kind of went into a little bit, but kind of go more into, sure. uh, how that drives you. Cause you, you can tell anybody that talks to you for more than five minutes can tell that, you know, that's, it's a passion of yours.
1: I, I think it's, <clears throat> you know, one, you know, being exposed to a, you know, phenomenal leadership is, is, is something I hope every airman has the opportunity to, to have and can say and point to, that leader and say, man, she was amazing. And and if they can even articulate why that they were amazing, that's even better. Um, Because I think it helps you digest what it means to be a leader yourself. Uh, It it truly does start with self. I think you do have to spend some time uh, and and you probably do need the help of a mentor or coach as a young officer enlisted member to think through what what do I stand for? Like, what is my purpose really in life? Forget the Air Force for a second, but what is your purpose? Um, we all came in with very specific purposes and desires and dreams. Uh, I'd like to think that we all also, one thing we do have in common is we, we all want to serve in some capacity. But ultimately is to do what? To serve in order to do X, Y, or Z. That's the part where it's very hard for young officers enlisted to dive into that because I don't think they've ever been exposed to that level of development. Yeah. Um, so I think through a lot of your courses um, and a lot of the things I've seen at Fairchild and other leaders talk about they are starting to open that open the aperture up on let's explore you first. And it is okay to be selfish when you're looking at (laughs) leadership development. Uh, It's not about, you know, trying to get this dream assignment. And if you don't get it, I'm out. It's what do you want to get out of your career? Uh, What do you want to get out of your time? And I personally don't care whether you serve two years or 32 years. Uh, You know, I, I will always salute. I will always shake your hand and say, thank you. Um, but it, it did take a little bit of uh, friendly nudging from some mentors and from leaders to say it's uh, you should probably start reading and educating yourself on what this means. And and that was the nudge I got from General Fullhart was you ought to look at this program at Gonzaga University, uh, the leadership, uh, organizational leadership program. And, and there's a concentration in servant leadership that you can get, which I did, which I did pursue. And um, and as soon as I got into the education environment again as a young captain, it's like somebody opened a whole bunch of doors again. Oh, wow. Um, you know, I'd taken a break from college. I didn't want to go pursue a master's. I wanted to fly and and, and have fun as an as a air crew member and as an airman and as a young officer. But at some point, you know, he, he saw that, hey, there's one thing missing um, that would probably, um, you know, spark that. That firing me for leadership development, and he said, "Hey, let's check out this program." And so we sat and talked about it, and and next thing you know, I I applied through tuition assistance, and it wasn't a hundred percent back then, um, <laughs> yeah. you know. So um, I, I knew there was going to be a little bit of a financial piece to this, but it was okay. It worked out, and um, it was the best degree that I that I've gotten to date. And wow, um, it took me three years to get through it. I actually finished it when I got to Charleston. Um, But everything I did in that course applied to my military career. So one, it was great to write papers because I could use anything uh, from my Air Force (laughs) career because I always had an example to turn to. But what I learned most about servant leadership is it starts with self. It starts with this higher calling to want to serve others. And I think if you whittle it down even simpler than that, I think you got to start with, do I care? And if you don't care, I don't think you're going to... One, inspire others or let alone yourself. And you probably need to look somewhere else because, uh, that's not a place that you should be or a position or a role. Let's go find a role where you can get to, I care about this. Once you figure out for yourself, what do you deeply care about? Maybe what's your purpose? What do you feel is your purpose in life right now? Um, then I think you can start crafting this, um, um, narrative in your life of how do I apply this to serving others uh, and the second piece to servant leadership obviously is serving others it is in service of others which is the primary core of the definition of servant leadership and, and the one of the you know the kind of the founder of this is Robert Greenleaf and you can you can look him up and you'll see the Greenleaf Foundation and I've been a member of that for a long time just because of the the material that they have out there but okay. the greatest test of a servant leader is, do the others that you serve continue to grow as
0: leaders themselves? Man. So, (laughs) and that's
1: a question you're like, you have to ask, I ask it daily. Did, did my leadership enable them to grow? And if I'm not, then I'm not being true as a servant leader. I'm not even being true to my core. Servant leadership may not be the leadership style that fits you. So, whatever it is, I still ultimately believe we're here to grow our future. So, Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that I will continue to do whether I'm in the Air Force or not. It's just a matter of that next step, uh, you know, outside of the Air Force. Uh, I really am going to try to find a way to continue to do that because it's that I do believe is my purpose. And that's kind of why I want to continue serving. So um, but it's a pretty it's a hard test to administer, but it's (laughs) one I think you just got to continue to put in your notebook is my leadership growing future leaders and are they themselves
0: growing? So there's kind of a two part to that. So it's
1: that, a lot to digest, but, uh,
0: <laughs> I'm actually writing that down just cause I love that quote. And
1: do they continue to grow? Um, and I would say if you're not constantly in an educational or a learning mindset in, in, um, in leadership uh, or understanding leadership or wanting to develop your own or others leadership, I think you're wrong. I you have to continue to read and educate yourself. Um,
0: uh-huh. Reading
1: and learning is the great equalizer. Um, and every senior leader you read about—I um, mean, you can find hundreds of book lists, book lists from past presidents and four-star generals and all that. They were the, the one thing in common to some of the leaders that we hold in high esteem is they were really good readers. Some of them voracious readers. Um, Someone will even admit they're so. I'm a very slow reader, but I've got a ton of books open at, how, at, at home, <laughs> and I tend to kind of bounce back and forth. Maybe that's a little bit of a uh, um, you know lack of concentration at times. <laughs> so, so, but I'd say I love the variety, and I love you know being able to pick uh, different pieces from different books to somehow aid me in in my leadership. I don't have it all right, um, you know. Certainly far from perfect, but uh, I, I I try to find. If if I had if I run up against a a failure or something that didn't go quite right, I use that as feedback and I try to go find ways to understand why did that occur or what tools could I have put into uh, action in a leadership game. Sometimes that tool is be- uh, listening a little bit better, <laughs> <laughs> and that's something I constantly work on is listen first and uh, and then talk. So. Um, you know, that, that's probably one thing that, uh, if I could offer free advice, start with that one and, uh, you don't need to research that a lot. So uh, that's a good one to start with.
0: I, I like that. And, uh, I remember seeing this statistic somewhere. I can't remember what, what book it's in, so I can't really reference it. Right. But something about, uh, if you look at who we, whoever you consider some of the most successful leaders, you know, their TV time per week is very very minimal but yeah. their reading time and their development time is way up compared to the average person that maybe i shouldn't say average but to the person that is not doing that and so there's no reason why they are successful it's like you said it's their it's a proactive approach and it's it that's, is that's awesome to hear that you're still pursuing that and you're still all right what's my blind spot i'm i'm i gotta dive into that i gotta listen more and
1: But I get asked all the time. You know, people ask me, "How how are you reading all this stuff?" Or even I share a lot of content online. Um, It's small chunks of time. You know, I I think if people watched and mapped what I do throughout the day, um, I have a little bit of a rhythm. I I do tend to in the mornings and at late at night, I will kind of scan. You know, my phone or on the computer, or I will look at different articles. And I've gotten really good at scanning. I said I was not. I'm still not a fast reader, but I've I've learned to kind of go through the main points of of a paper by paragraph and look, you know, read the end first, you know, (laughs) see where the author is going and then see, you know, where they started, where they're going and then read in the middle. Um, and I, if I find something of value, I like to share that and I share it out on LinkedIn or Facebook and, you know, in between like, you know, funny cat videos and posts like that. But, uh, (laughs) there's a lot of noise out there. And I figured, you know, if I'm reading this anyway, maybe I can contribute a little bit, more in a positive light, um, and, I, and I appreciate yeah. it when people say, "Hey, this was a great article." You know, these aren't all of my original thoughts; these are things I'm sharing from others, and and that mm-hmm. to me is a great gift. Is to give back, is to share somebody else's content, and 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 you know, show them, hey, this really meant a lot to me. Um, but I I will you know I will carry a book with me. I will you know have a phone if I if I have to go somewhere, and you know I don't mind waiting. Like, you know, if I got to get a new ID card, I actually don't mind waiting. I'll read. You know, that's yeah. like my time. So yeah. I have found ways to, whether it's 5, 15, maybe it's 30 minutes, you know, maybe I'm downtown getting a oil change or something. I'm not sitting there watching the TV. I'm usually reading or catching up on something. Um, I still watch TV. I'm a movie nerd. So I watch a lot. <laughs> and, uh, Um, you know, there's still fun times to be had and and, uh, you never will have that perfect balance. Um, Right. But, you know, you need to go lopsided every now and then. So, Yes, I have binged the Stranger Things, you know, seasons one through two, and, <laughs> and uh, but I never got in the Game of Thrones. That, that's the one I was too scared to dive into it, because then I'd be sucked in for a long time. Yeah.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm supposed to be in Scott now? What's yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I, you know, sometimes you got to know that, hey, that's, that's danger, and I need to stay away from that right now, because I'm going to be too absorbed, and I got other things to do. But um, but yeah, I think you just got to learn when to put those things down. Um you know when is the right time to Netflix binge and when is it not, and uh, yeah. and just balance it. But um, but you know again, there's you're always competing with family time, with work time, or with my hobby time. And you, I think you just need to know that it's going to ebb and flow, and and that to me is balance. Uh, it's never going to be perfect, so yeah. Um, yeah. I think that's I like a, that. a false thing to ch- to chase. You're just never going to get perfect balance, so you got to find ways to make up for it so
0: yeah because the the external forces are, are always going to be a little bit different so oh yeah. you can't you got to adjust on the fly that, that makes perfect sense yeah.
1: and even in this current job you know I I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm watching three different lives one I'm watching my own but first and foremost I'm serving the organization and I'm serving my leadership um, you know when you when you find yourself in kind of a deputy position you're leading up and down um, mm-hmm. and you're the, you're gonna get the squeeze on, on a variety of issues. And it may be somebody wants to uh, understand something that maybe your, your boss said, or maybe get a clarification because mm-hmm. you were in the same meeting. Um, I, I kind of joke about this in the EQ class. Um, I, what I really loved about being the vice commander, when I sit in a meeting, I have the best seat in the house. Um, again, one, I should be listening. Two, I get to look around at the body language and I get to listen and watch everybody talking what's mm-hmm. up on the screen. And if somebody was to study me intently, they would see me scanning the room, I'm um, listening for what was said, how it was said, does it jive with what's on the screen? Does it make sense or you know, does the wing commander or another group commander or whatever somebody says in the room, I look at everybody's reaction to that. If I see kind of the eyebrows raise, I'm, I'm wondering, did they not understand that intent? Uh, if I see everybody's uh, no. eyebrows go up, OK, I understand that's a little bit of a shock. Something must have been said here that they weren't <laughs> tracking. So I will then try my best to come back and I'll talk with with the wing commander about that. And I've had two great wing commanders here who are extremely open about feedback. And, and I feel like I've been able, uh, when it was appropriate, to say, hey, sir, I, what you said in there, it, it drove home. I could tell everybody got it. Or, Mm -hmm. hey, I don't know if they truly understood that. And I would say that, hey, I was even having a hard time following that. Maybe we ought to follow up. Or did you mean something else? So sometimes even just a clarification piece based on what you see in a meeting as far as body language is essential. So um, going into wing command, far different than vice command. Uh, You almost need, just like a squadron commander or group commander, you have to fight for feedback. Because nobody wants to tell you. Uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, you've got something in your teeth or, hey, what you said in front of the audience. I don't know if that clicked, sir, ma'am. I mean, so that's something that you as a leader is the higher you go, you need to be cognizant that people are going to be less apt to come to you with a constructive criticism or even a compliment. So you got to find a way to fight for feedback, um, the good and the bad. And then you need to show them that you're willing to, to accept that feedback.
0: Like, oh, yeah. I'm going to do yeah. something
1: about that. Or, you know what? You're right. You picked up on that. One of the best things public affairs gave me when I first got here, um, Colonel Samuelson had sent me off to to do an event and um, it, it was a promotion ceremony. And, uh, you know, it was one of the first ones where he was TDY. And and so I'm, I'm you know, playing backup. And um, mm-hmm. uh, I wrote in my you know, two, three minute little talk on my phone. I actually did it in the parking lot about 20 minutes before that. So <laughs> I thought about the words the night before. I was nervous and I'm like, I want to get this right. It's kind of my first one. And and so I had the phone up on the podium and I was kind of standing to the side because I didn't want to read it word for word. Mm-hmm. But I felt myself drawn back into reading those words. And then I would go in and out of that. And I talked to the airmen who were just promoted. And, and uh, Captain Downsworth came up to me and said, Hey sir, can I offer you some feedback about your talk? I said, Yeah, absolutely. And she said, You're so much better without your notes when you're off the cuff. She's like seeing you talk to other people. <laughs> you're just built better that way. And not that the words were wrong, they were phenomenal, but when you started reading off your phone, your tone changed and it wasn't, didn't feel like you. Didn't like know. that was huge advice for me. Um, is it something I could have picked up on my note on my own? I, I don't know. Um, but I needed an airman to tell me, Hey, you're better like this. There's a time and a place for a scripted speech, but there's a time and a place to just be you and just talk about what you wanted to talk about. Um, it's okay if it's not polished. It's okay if it's a little rough. Uh, if that style fits you, use it. And, uh, uh, and she was right. And so I've used that advice ever since then. And it, I think it served me well. I, I, I don't always get it right. Again, I still make mistakes. Uh, and her and the ch- chief mills or somebody else <laughs> would say, hey, you know, your three points, they're kind of a downer. Can you bring it up a little bit? Next? Yeah, I could do that next time. So <laughs> um, so I you have to be open to that kind of stuff as a leader. As a senior leader, it gets harder. And you really have to fight for that feedback. Fight daily for it. And uh, I think it'll serve you really well. And I think your airmen will really appreciate. They can talk to their supervisor or yeah. their squadron commander or a wing commander. You know, because if... I think being unapproachable to me is that instills a lot of fear uh, in me personally. I I don't, I don't ever want to come across as I'm not an approachable leader because then I don't think I'm doing right by people. Um, Right. You know, it's okay to be mad and angry. And there may be times when you're moody and yeah, I don't want anybody around (laughs) (laughs) me. But I think the other side of that is I think our leaders should be approachable because that's what they're asking for. And, and at least that's what I read in a lot of different feedback. So we have to enable that a little bit better too.
0: So, yeah. And that kind of goes into the communication piece as well. Of, yeah. You know, okay. How do you know their intent? You know, how do you know your leader's intent if there isn't that communication? Yeah. Know, and that, that's, that's awesome. So we have some questions here for you, sir. If you would kind of want to go in these and uh, some rapid fire success. Yeah, these are tough questions. Yeah. Okay. All right. So how would you define success? Um, I'd say grow uh,
1: two words growth and goals. I think it's are you growing to achieve the goals that you set out to do um, and it's okay those goals can change. Um, it's okay to reset goals, but you should be growing and you should be um, aiming towards them so I, I to me that's if I'm not growing i I'm, I'm not I don't view myself as successful and and I would certainly hope that others wouldn't feel that same way either so growth and achievement of goals
0: and I like how you said in there. Uh, adjusting the goals is fine. I'm guessing that you're kind of alluding to failure isn't necessarily failure as long as there's growth happening or am I peeling that back too oh, far yeah. for you? No, no, no,
1: absolutely. I, to me, again, <clears throat> I, I've, I've reboxed <clears throat> failure to be feedback. Um, to me, failure equals feedback. Um, it should be telling me something, whether, hey, that plan didn't work or that speech didn't work or that engagement didn't work. And then the next question is, what can I do? to, you know, one, not repeat it, okay, right. that, but what can I do to make it better? Um, and I may not even get it right the next time, but it's it's adapting and moving forward. Uh, I mean, that's, that's what we talk about when we talk about innovation, too, is it's okay to fail. Um, you should be looking at it as feedback, adapting, testing, and putting it in action again. So, um, you know, our goals are going to change throughout a military career. I mean, my goals as a lieutenant are not the same as they were as a major Not the same Mm. as a squadron commander or now a colonel. Um, You know that those goalposts have moved for me many, many times. Um, Some goals I've achieved, and others I'm like, "Mm, "Yep, I'm not going to play in the NBA." (laughs) Not as a five foot six. You know, I'm not Spud Webb. So, (laughs) fair enough. But uh, so let's go after a realistic goal, one that's tough enough that's going to hurt a little bit because that's where the growth will come from.
0: So awesome. Thank you, sir. Yeah. All right. So the next one. What do you think has made you successful?
1: Um, I would say I've really worked on my ability to network, um, to create relationships, foster relationships, build relationships with people I know, with complete strangers. Um, and funny enough, I, you know, I'm, I'm actually a very shy person. Um, it, it does, I feel that internally. It may not always come across that way. I, I certainly am more extroverted than introverted. But I've had some great leaders who have shown me the power of networking, um, especially it's in, if it's in areas that I'm interested or that I want to enhance the organization. And don't be afraid to reach out to those people that maybe have a skill or resource that you want uh, to either bring into your company or bring into your organization or develop yourself and reach out to them. Um, a lot of the f- speakers that we had at the Lyft event, the Leaders Inspiring for Tomorrow um, event last year, which was a leadership focused, um, five of the people that I was able to to bring out uh, were literally folks I met through LinkedIn. Wow. So never physically <laughs> met them until that day of the Lyft event.
0: Oh, wow. So some
1: of them I had relationships <laughs> with for about two, two, three years. So I would never underestimate the power of networking, never be afraid to ask somebody. I really or tell somebody, I really like what you do. That may be something I'm interested in someday. Can, can I talk to you sometime? And I'm never afraid of titles. If it says CEO, I'm not afraid to reach out to them. Uh, and and cool. about nine times out of 10, they have reached back and said, Hey, give me a call. Let's chat sometime. Wow. And I tell you what, that about six, seven years ago, the first time I did that, and I was speaking with a senior executive about talent management, because it's something I've wanted, I wanted to do later in life. I was just kind of thinking through a career. Mm -hmm. Little did I know I'd be working talent management at Air Mobility Command. Um, That person helped me out immensely in a 30-minute conversation about how I should think about personnel, what does development mean at a company, and things like that. So um, my ability to network has gotten very good because I practice it daily. So I'm always executing on it.
0: (laughs) Well, that's a as part of the Lyft team, whenever we were brainstorming for speakers, the conversation would always come up. Well, Colonel Heathman will either know them or it's like that <laughs> six degrees of separation. The separate, yeah, the Kevin Bacon so, the Kevin yeah. thing. Yeah. So it's like, well, either he knows somebody or he's gonna. Well, maybe think, he either knows them or knows somebody that knows them. I think them. you find too yeah. that if
1: if you have a passion for whatever it is and you you enter into that network, you'll find that a lot of them know each other too, and a lot well, of those Lyft speakers did like three of them knew of they each did. other. Yeah. 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 They never met, but they've also interacted and it's a small world, smaller than what we think. But, um, doing that on a base is just as important because if you, if you got something I need and I got something you need and here we have a common goal, we better be networking and engaging and hopefully figuring out how can we both meet that goal together and, and fulfill both our needs. I mean, that, that's, to me, Nirvana right
0: there. Oh so. yeah. Yeah. Thanks for tying that in. Cause I mean, hopefully that's what this podcast does is, mm-hmm. uh, people start to at least, they might not see them in person or know what they look like, but they've heard their voice on here and kind of go into that, whatever shop that is. And be like, hey, yeah, I know that person. Yeah. So, <laughs> all right, moving on. What drives you?
1: <clears throat> mm, um, I think improvements drive me. I, I love seeing, um, things get better um, you know, take a process, take yourself, uh, take your airmen. Um, again, it's part of that growth. I I love to see the, um, the pain and struggle because I think sometimes that's good growth. Uh, if it's, if it's too easy, you know, everybody's doing it right. Um, so I think just seeing the improvement in people and organizations, um, that really drives me, uh, family certainly drives me. Um, you know, obviously, um, you know, uh, I love the the family that I've got and they've been there every step of the way um figuring out how can we work together on this thing we call life and uh have a good time doing it. Um and, and just good old-fashioned fun. I if you're not having fun, um you truly are doing something wrong. And that's not my quote. That that's been out there for forever. Um, but you gotta have a a means, an outlet for fun. Um we do a lot of not-so-fun stuff in the military.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes <laughs> I'm
1: like, but that could be fun, and we could get training done, and we could go do a damn good job. So mm-hmm. um, I think you need to incorporate that every stage of the game. There's a time and place when um, we need to be serious, and we, we all know that. Um, but I think uh, it's, it is really cool to see a unit, uh, a squadron or a flight. Uh, you see them out there on the base, and they're out there having fun where they're playing you know, mm-hmm. Frisbee Golf or they're out there playing uh, Ultimate Frisbee or uh, they're playing in the gym, wherever. Or maybe they're all running around in a gas mask around the FSS. You're like, and they <laughs> high-fiving each other. And I can see them from the window here. And I'm like, okay, I don't see a lot of people in <laughs> gas masks high-fiving each other, so they must be having fun. You yeah. know, that's kind of inspiring to me. So it <laughs> makes me really want point. to join them and, you know,
0: get off my computer and go run out there.
1: And, <laughs> What's uh, going on, guys? Yeah. <laughs>
0: All right. So, what's the greatest lesson you've learned?
1: I'll I'll leave you with a quote, and 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 uh, not leave you, but leave that question with a quote here. Um, and this is a, a a general officer that was in my class at uh, the Command General Staff College at Fort Lemworth. He was from uh, Trinidad and Tobago, and his quote was, and and it's a little bit of a play on some other quotes too. But enjoy where you are while you get to where you're going. Oh yeah. And what that means to me is. Um, Anytime we move around in, in, in the military, um, you know, we're always thinking about it. You'd be inhuman if you weren't thinking about what's the next job or the job after that. A little mm-hmm. bit of career planning, if you will. But it's some. it can be too easy to not enjoy where you are while you're on that path to where you're, where you're going or where you want to yeah. go. Um, so I've tried to make it a, a, a clear point um, ever since I probably became a major. I stopped chasing my career When I became a major and started enjoying where I was, and life really got a lot simpler for me. Still complicated being in the military, and you know I didn't get every job I wanted, Um, but I didn't stress over it because I was enjoying where I was. Um, You know, uh, I can remember a a wing commander at Charleston. uh, I was actually flying back from Scott Air Force Base with my squadron commander. We happened to catch a ride on a C twenty one with the wing commander who was there for a conference. He's like, "Hey, why don't you?" catch a ride. It's, you know, we can put you on the orders and everything's good. And um, so we got cleared. They cleared us to go on the flight. And, uh, and during that flight, he, uh, I was an instructor pilot uh, at the time in the, in the C-17. And the wing commander looks at me, I'm sitting right across from him and we're we're like, you know, um, real close quarters in this little jet. (laughs) And he said, Scott, I I want you to um, uh, come work for me in the command post. And I, I mean, the horrific face that I gave him <laughs> and then I looked at my squadron commander and he was just reading the paper and he was just laughing you know and I looked at him and he goes what's wrong Scott I said <laughs> I said sir I, the command post like I didn't know really and I'll tell you that my my narrative of the command post at that time was I've seen a lot of people go uh, work in the command post and at that time you know I, a lot of people were retiring on that job and I thought well did I do something wrong and, and he was like no that has nothing to do with that. I, I I would I would just like to have a strong leader in there, and and you're you make a great deputy. We got a great chief, and, uh, and he goes. Eventually, you're going to fly up to be the chief too, because we're going to move move you around. And I'm like, wow, that again, one of the best jobs I've ever had. I loved it in the command post. It was hard work, um, <laughs> but we improve the facility. We did a, a million dollar upgrade to the facility that hadn't been done in 20 years. Oh, wow. um, new consoles, new processes, new uh, self-help, the, the break room. Uh, we just, we made it our own. And those airmen helped me grow as a leader. And I like to think that they learned something from me and our, our chief at the time. And and then when I took over as chief, we just continued to uh, grow that command post and, and make it a centerpiece of the wing. And and um, it's a thankless job. There's a lot of them on any installation, but um, I learned a ton out of that job. And we had failed a major inspection going into it, and we were one of the best when we left it. Wow! Because you know, we bizarre. all invested, all of us invested. So I think we all kind of needed each other in that job, and and um, you know really learned uh, you know a lot in some of these things that you just don't plan for. So um, I've been a firm believer: if you stop chasing your career and just kind of let things happen the way they should. Uh, it's okay to provide some input and state some desires, but um, enjoy where you are, work hard where you're at and we'll see what happens. So it has worked out <laughs> fine. So <laughs> that is That's awesome.
0: On. Okay. Where are you learning now?
1: Uh, right now I'm, I'm spending a lot of time um, reading about um, strategic leadership uh, only because, Hey, you know, even here at Fairchild and going to Scott, I mean, these are large organizations. Um, mm-hmm. And then I, I'm, focused a little bit on uh, how to transition as a leader too um so i'm I'm reading a lot about you know everything from 90-day transitions you know when you first get in your new job Mm -hmm. you know where do you spend your time and effort um and i I did a little bit of that coming in in this job too Uh, i think it's pretty essential to prepare uh for the next job you're going into and and i've literally mapped out you know certain milestones over a 90-day period that i want to hit um you know these are the organizations i want to hit in the first 30 days and I'll tell you, I learned that from Colonel Salmi here Wing Commander, learned that from Colonel Samuelson, learned that through reading. You know, these aren't my ideas. These are <laughs> what I've seen and, and I've come up with my plan and, and every leader should be doing that. We should borrow from the best. And, um, you know, I, my goal uh, is to, you know, I think it's pretty typical people say, ah, take 90 days, you know, to get up to speed. My goal is to start, stop stealing value from the organization because I'm new and start adding value as quickly as possible. So I take that 90 and go 45 days at 45 days. I need to be finding ways to start adding value back because 90 days, that's three months and we have two years in command. That's not a lot of time. Right. So, um, so I'm learning a lot about how to transition. Um, You know, I'm going to test my, my process here at at the wing and uh, I've already sent them a couple different products and it's working okay, but I'll certainly have to adjust and that's okay. It's not so rigid that we can't, Flex. Right. And, and oh, by the way, life on a base happens, right? <laughs> so, you know, anything yeah. can yeah. take your attention away. But I, you know, I'm hoping I set myself up for the right agencies to visit in the first week that, you know, if something happens, I, I know where the command post is and the EOC, the Emergency Operations Center, the Base the Defense Operations Center, the Fire Department, you know, those key agencies where if life and limb are at stake as a wing commander, I know where they're at and I can effectively lead and operate. So, um, and you know, by the way, you got three, four, five thousand airmen who are absolutely there to support the wing as well. So mm-hmm. it's not a solo game, you know. Uh, and that's that's the greatest thing um to always fall back on is you're not alone. It feels like you're alone, but you're not. Right. Um, so that's what I'm studying right now, and I'm I'm reading a ton about it right now. <laughs> so,
0: <laughs> I'll bet. Yeah. I'll bet. What have you read that we should read?
1: All right, I got two. This is easy. I got two okay. books. Um One's called "No Ego" by Cy Wakeman, her first name C Y. Cy, uh, Cy uh, has a couple books on reality-based leadership, and what I love about her, um, you'll find her online on on Instagram, on LinkedIn. She's got a lot of video content. Um, she is real, and uh, she gives you great tips on how to deal with workplace drama, how to not invite it in. Uh, you know, <laughs> she's a little against the open door policy because that tends to drive a lot of bad behavior to come in an executive's office. Mm-hmm. Um, the tools that I read in that book, and it's an easy book, and it's a fun book to read, it's entertaining. Um, uh, you could put it in the practice today. I mean, wow. it was that practical nice. um, because it just makes sense. Um, but it's it's a little bit about a little bit of tough love. It's about when when people keep coming to a leader with all their problems, yet they're not solving any for their own. She talks to you about ways that you can have these dialogues to get them to understand how are they contributing, because very rarely do we say mm. I'm the problem, and sometimes we are, right? We've all been there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if you can have that other person on the other end of that dialogue, ask them some very strategic questions, and maybe word them a little differently, get them to be part of the solution set, you'll be better off, and, and the drama will start to recede a little bit. Okay. Um, the second book uh, is is one I read a while ago, and I reread it again. Um, Orbiting the Giant Hairball. Um, by Gordon McKenzie. Um, And the book itself is is actually really interesting. There's a lot of doodling in it. And this guy worked at Hallmark in Kansas City. Oh, okay. Um, It is all about operating, navigating, and surviving in a bureaucracy. Uh, A big organization where you don't think you're going to move the needle. And, And what orbiting the giant hairball really means is when you orbit a planet too close, gravity tends to pull you in. And you'll crash on impact. Mm -hmm. If you're too far out, you're going to fly into the darkest depths of our universe and you're no longer going to be in sync with that Right. right. If you find that perfect orbit uh, around that planet, you're close enough to the organization, yet you're far enough away that you've got some autonomy and you can get some things done, that's the sweet spot. And I think that rings true to me. I've had several leaders tell me this. Uh, One leader, General Holt, had told me this at at my promotion ceremony a couple years ago. He said, Scott is about two degrees left of center. And it took me a while to understand what that (laughs) meant. You know, like, is that an insult or is that... uh..." But he's right. I I don't ordinarily see the clear path. I actually like seeing the path that may not actually be visible. And in some facets of my life, that has proven to be extremely valuable. I don't quite see things the way that somebody else would. Um, I try to find people like that to put on a team because... I want to ensure we're not all thinking the same. I right. I, need, yeah. I, I want to ensure we got a little bit of diversity of thought here because I don't want all the same mentality marching out on this possibly innovative effort. Um, so I take that as a huge compliment and that's, that book resonates with me because here's a, a leader in a large organization who worked in a certain position and felt hamstrung. And my sister tells me this all the time. She's like, for somebody as creative as you are, I don't know how you stay in such a regimental environment. <laughs> but I tell you that the success has been, or and I, I, I will call it fulfillment for me is I find ways to not orbit too close to the hairball. Um, and it's All not right. to say I haven't been caught in the tractor beam; I have, and it's crushed me. And I'm like, this stinks. Um, but I have found other ways to navigate and move the needle. Um, it may not be massive things. I don't need it. You know, we don't need to invent an airplane to make my mark in life. You know, it might just be a better way to do this process, you know, and and I'm happy with that. So um, that, that book is, like I said, it's got a lot of little life lessons in it. Um, It's one you can just pick up whenever you want. And uh, like I said, it's got some interesting drawings and stuff in it too, but uh, I've given that out to a few commanders. One as a cautionary note, but two as a support tool to say um, you can Mm -hmm. still operate in our air force and not feel so constrained. And Oh, by the way, Encourage your airmen to feel the same way. So that's huge. But uh, um, you know, as General Holt said, the Department of No really sucks the life out of you at times. So (laughs) uh, you got to find ways to get past it. And there are times when, hey, No is the right answer. I get it. You know, you got to move on. It's not about inventing. This process is already leaned out. Let's just move out on it. Great. So you got to know when that's appropriate too. So yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, what do you see us, the Air Force, doing well? Now, this one is when I was developing these questions. It was, okay, maybe I am going to get a chance to interview you or the wing commander. And that's why I yeah. was kind of <clears throat> focusing on that a little bit. So if you don't mind sharing, that'd be awesome.
1: Yeah, I I would say as an Air Force, even even here as, as Fairchild, um, we're generally very good at executing. If you need us to go overseas somewhere deliver gas so that this aircraft can drop this bomb and that target air force rules the world the United States Air Force mm-hmm. does um, I would never bet against it and uh um we may make mistakes and we may not always be ready but I know when the the balloon goes up and maybe it's because I went through 9-11 here uh, we didn't bat an eye you know everything that we were complaining about up until then as airmen you know <laughs> whether it be the dorms or whatever it was like where can we go kick ass You know, and everybody was on board Mm -hmm. and we did it. Um, We were ready to go. Um, The hardest part about that, though, is you never know when that Super Bowl-like event's going to occur. So you have to find a way to make your training uh, as realistically as it can match that mindset. It's incredibly hard to do. Um, There are times when I would, if I would be critical of ourselves, and, and I'm right there with the team on this, is, there are times when I don't think we pushed ourselves enough, and we had a big plan and it shrunk and shrunk and shrunk. Okay. And I would say that there's a balance there. Some of it shrunk for reasons because of resources and things like that, and that that's acceptable. There are other times though where maybe the dialogue was, eh, "That's going to be hard," or "Hey, you know, we can simulate that step. You know, we don't oh, yeah. we don't need to give everybody a, a gun. We'll just simulate that. Well, why not? Okay, because right. I don't want you to screw that little thing up. When you're going through the mobility line, or you're getting issued your sidearm, or whatever it may be, um, and and we always find issues. But if we don't practice like we how we want to fight, we're we're not going to uncover those things. And every time we do, we push the limit. We always uncover something, and everybody's like, "I'm so glad we did this." So yeah. if yeah. if there's anything we can improve upon as far as execution, it's how we plan to execute in actually exercising that. And uh, and I think you're gonna see this wing truly shine as it as it gets closer to this Nori. Um, because I think the the leadership and the warrior mindset's kicking in here a year from now we'll have a, a nuclear operational readiness inspection and the team is already saying, We have to go max effort on our exercises. And that's mm-hmm. such a refreshing thing to hear because it's too easy to go the other way. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. You know it, we would all take that. I love doing the same thing. Like, yeah, let's just make it a little bit easier. And we'll get through it. But there are times you just really got to press yourself. And you got to be okay if you're going to fail. You know, we, we saw that in some of the things that we exercised. We failed miserably, but we learned a ton. And now mm-hmm. we're, we've got new processes because of it. So, you know, there are, there are things that can change over time. But, um, but I know deep down that when our force says go, we're going to go. And we're going to do it pretty darn well. And mm-hmm. even if we screw up along the way, we're going to adapt and we're going to get over it. Because that is what our Air Force is 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 so good at, is getting anywhere on this planet where we said we we're going to be. And uh, and I hope we can hold whomever they ask us to hold at bay because um, we can get there fairly quick. So yeah, uh, that's yeah. why I love serving the Air Force so much. And that's what I think we do well. So
0: That's awesome. Well, you kind of already answered the next question, which is, What do you see us needing to work on? Yeah. And you kind of went into that one as well. Same kinds of things here. Yep. So what (laughs) advice would you give to your 19-year-old self?
1: (laughs) (laughs) 19. What was I doing at 19? Let's see. Yeah. Freshman in college in a big city for the first time living. Um, I think maybe a little biased because, again, I've I've had such a, a great time teaching emotional intelligence here. but. And I've heard airmen say this, young airmen say this, uh, that have gone through the course and say, I wish I would become more self-aware. And I think that's what I would tell myself is focusing on that self-awareness, mm-hmm. uh, not just with your leadership, but the way that you interact with people, the way that you manage yourself, um, you know, all the same facets that we talk about in, in emotional intelligence, the social competencies, the personal competencies. I would tell myself, maybe go take a course like that and just be a little bit more cognizant of kind of okay. what's happening. Um, there's a maturity thing about it too, right? At <laughs> 18, 19, yeah. 20, you're, you're not fully, fully mentally developed yet. You're getting there. And, yeah. and some people are. You know, I certainly wasn't. Uh, I'm still, still a teenager, right? <laughs> I was right there with you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, you know that's part of the growth. But I think if you can introduce that earlier in life, perhaps there's some missteps that may not have been taken, or um, some paths that could be straightened out versus a little rockier, whatever that may be. I, I think there's a lot of good by exposing, you know, young folks to um, some of that development at a young age. I think it. I think for senior leaders, we often say, "Ah, oh, they're not ready." You know, I've even caught myself saying, <laughs> uh, it, "It just it, it came up in the last." Uh, eq course that I, that uh, don and i taught on friday somebody said we should introduce this younger and i caught myself saying i don't know if they're ready that's a bad statement mm-hmm. you know and again there's my bias kicking in yeah i was one of them and now i'm not i'm, I'm not <laughs> one of the, the others so i'm one of those old guys but um th- that's what i would tell my 19 year old self and as a senior leader that's what i will tell 19 year olds is spend some time on yourself and become a little bit more self-aware it's so, nice and there's that's, fun ways to do it so
0: that's huge that's awesome. So what motivates you?
1: Um, You know, to kind of go full circle, it's, it's really seeing people grow. It's seeing somebody work on something so hard or uh, even the times they don't achieve the goal, but they're still trying like that motivates me.
0: Um, gotcha. Yeah. You know,
1: seeing a good story play out anytime there's a struggle um, to get to what you're trying to accomplish, I think. You learn far more than you give yourself credit for. And to be able to watch that happen in the flesh, like there's nothing greater than that. Especially if you can, as a leader, keep your hands off and let, let them go through those actions themselves. You know, if you're too helpful, I don't know if they're going to grow as much as you want them to. You That's know? a huge test. It is. And it's hard. It's hard for me personally because I can get locked into a vision or a, a, a way of doing something and the the angry little Scotty Heathman comes out because like, I'm <laughs> wanting it to be right for them or what I think is right. And it's it's not. Part of the process is allowing them to have the latitude to to make this their own. So those are areas that I still uh, want to improve upon. And, and um, you know, I don't have any shame in saying, hey, that's a vulnerability. But, you know, and I I talked about it this at the uh, set, I can't remember where I was, but I was, you know, as a, a brand new aircraft commander, I had a great instructor tell me, Hey, don't help the co-pilot with the, the mission computer putting all the data in. There's 200 pages in this mission computer that you need to know. And if you keep stealing the opportunities for him or her to learn, well, they're exactly. not going to learn. So don't go over there and lean over the console and dial in, you know, put in the flight plan yourself. Let them do it. And it's okay if it takes twice as long. You just need to step to the aircraft a little earlier. So, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, But that's a great life lesson, you know. It is. Yeah. Let them do the work themselves, Um, and you know when they're truly going to hurt themselves. You know, I mean, it's that parental gut instinct. You're not going to let people fail, but let them experience a little bit of pain when they when you feel that they can they can manage it. And other times, uh, you may need to show them a a better path. So, okay. uh,
0: So we'll end it with. You talked about a lot in this. This episode and <laughs> yeah, I don't know if out. we can. I don't know if we can chisel this down to three takeaways that we as a listener can kind of think about and focus on. But if you do or if you can, what would be a couple of things that we should take away from this?
1: Um, I actually do have three things, and, I, and it's because I've thought about this for quite a quite a long time. Not just that the fact mm-hmm. that you have
0: this question on this piece of paper, but
1: um, when I when I went into squadron command, I, I, my mantra was: be present, be bold, be innovative. And to me, it, it kind of fits what we've been talking about today. To me, being present is knowing yourself and then understanding what y- your folks need. It's not about just showing up at different events, but it's being a part of their lives. Maybe it's being a sounding board, maybe it's being, um, uh, maybe it's being the disciplinarian, you know right. Right. Um, I mean, leaders who let an organization run crazy and there's no consistency and discipline, they're not being present, and that organization's going to fail. Just give it time. It'll fail. Um, So to me, being present encompasses a lot of self and and being there for leaders as a servant leader. Being bold means you got to be courageous um, at times. You got to learn when it's time to maybe slightly go outside that orbiting of that hairball. (laughs) Um, uh, You got to understand that not every no means no. Sometimes that was a soft no. (laughs) And I just need to find a better way. Um, I usually try to go for seven nos. After the seventh time, I I tend to take you serious. Okay, I've heard five,
0: but seven, I like. I'm going to push push. the envelope,
1: say seven. Yeah. Okay. Um, But you know, you don't want to take people off. But it is okay to think big, to be creative in this job. It is okay to be different. It is okay to not follow uh, exactly the same line that this person or this group of people are following. Um, there's a time and place for that. There are also other times where I absolutely need to be part of the wing in formation with my teammates, in lockstep with the boss's right. vision and all that. But I would say never be afraid to think of a better way to search uh, or tactfully apply uh, some guidance or advice to say, have you thought about this? And, uh, and don't be free to learn. I, I think, again, failure is feedback to me which encourages me to learn, which encourages me to adapt and then execute again. So it's a very methodical process for me. Um, And the last thing, being innovative. uh, Again, maybe it ties back into being bold, but you first have to have an environment where there's trust, and then uh, you have to have a little bit of courage to be able to step outside of that box in order to be creative, to be innovative, to adapt. Um, So if the conditions aren't right, that third one, being innovative or thinking creatively, or again, stepping away from the job and going somewhere to have some quiet time with either yourself or with others to think through something. um, Those conditions aren't right. You can't get to that third one. That third one to me though, is a driver to create the conditions necessary to be innovative. So it's this beautiful yin-yang, the circle that I as a leader can instill. And then also I as a airman, be a part of as well so i can also be a customer of that innovation (laughs) yeah um you know not always be the one that has to be the driver of it but so those three things be present be bold be innovative they've served me well they serve me well in my my offline life my my out of airman life too Mm -hmm. Uh, i'm the same way in my outside life and i you know i think the if you can keep those in check and matched up um you know it's it's it'll make for a fun career it'll make for a fun afterlife too when You know I'm ready to move on from the Air Force, but uh, those are the three that I, I think I'm going to continue to fall back on, and I think those are the three I'm going to continue taking to whatever journey I end up uh, finding myself on. So,
0: (laughs) awesome. So be present, be bold, and be be innovative. Wow. (laughs) Thank you. Not very sexy. It's simple, (laughs) but it but it works. It really works. So thank you, Colonel Heathman. I really appreciate your time. I know you're shoring everything up before you take off to Scott. So. Thank you so much. You are awesome. I appreciate uh, I, Lance, it. Lance,
1: I think I thank you for the time. I thank you for the questions, and and uh, it's been great to kind of think think through these things too. It's it's fun to kind of dive in uh, personally into this kind of uh, topic and uh, kind of revisit some some good memories. But uh, you know, I, I wish you all the best, and I wish Team Fairchild all the best. I'm going to
0: miss you all. Thanks, sir. Appreciate it. So that's it. This is uh, the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Again, I'm your host, Master Sergeant Lance Haas. If you have a show idea or anybody that you would like to hear from on this show, please contact us at refuelteamfairchild at gmail.com.